Welcome back to another week of the Secondary Science Simplified podcast. Last week in episode 103, we covered how to assess our students in a way that really matters and talked about authentic summative assessments. We talked about creating a list of qualities that you want to cultivate in your students and then how to come up with ideas for ways that you can assess them and create opportunities for them to show what they know outside of just in the context of a test. Now, this week is for all of you about tests specifically. We're going to talk about how to use your unit tests and those summative assessments to prepare your students for later taking some sort of standardized test that you may have at the end of the year, whether that's an EOC, an AP exam, a benchmark test, you know, you name it. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So let's just go ahead and dive right in. This is Secondary Science Simplified a podcast for secondary science teachers who want to engage their students and simplify their lives. I'm Rebecca Joyner from It's Not Rocket Science. As a high school science teacher turned curriculum writer, I am passionate about helping other science teachers love their jobs, serve their students, and do it all in only 40 hours a week. Are you ready to rock the time you spend in your classroom and actually have a life outside of it? You are in the right place, teacher friend. Let's get to today's episode. First things first, if you don't have any sort of standardized exam for your course, you don't have to do anything that I'm about to talk about in this episode. And if you do, you you never have to do anything I talk about in these episodes. But I do think that giving our students test-taking skills and strategies and processes is still valuable. I think it's a valuable skill to build in them because I think it'll still serve them in other classes. Like maybe you don't have an EOC for chemistry, but they do have it in biology. Or maybe your students aren't taking AP physics, but they are taking AP calculus. And you can create some of these skills that'll still help them in their other classes when they are going to be taking those standardized tests. And I mentioned this in the last episode, episode 103, but I still feel like, especially if your students end up at these larger state schools and universities for postgraduate education, they will still most likely have some of those large classes of like two or 300 students and their grades will be consist of four test grades, you know, where every test they take is 25% of their final grade in the class. And that's it because Truly, the teachers of that amount of students, they don't have the capacity to grade other types of assessments besides tests. And so I think all of these different scenarios still make it worthwhile for us to train our students in how to take tests. And in doing so, we'll hopefully train them and equip them to later take standardized tests for other classes, even if they aren't for you. And so I'm going to share five really specific tips for you today in terms of doing this. And again, like I said in the last episode, I still give a unit test every unit. I love non-traditional summative assessments. I think they really serve students in creating opportunities for them to show what they know in a unique way. I love how they push me to make sure I'm really cultivating qualities and skills in my students that I want them to learn that they'll take out and use in life, not just forcing them to learn content. But I also like a unit test because... From a data perspective, you know, I'm not like a crazy data girl, but I will say like 
quantitatively, it's nice to kind of use this as my own personal benchmark to see every year to give these unit tests and say like, okay, how did this compare to last year's students? Is there something that I need to do differently? Is it something, you know, is it just because of the unique situation of these students? You know, I like to write my tests, especially biology by concept. And I can see then like, okay, they all did great on concepts one and three, but everyone bombed concept two. So like, how do I need to change how I'm teaching concept two? Because clearly they didn't get it. So I think tests are just nice in that they can kind of just create this benchmark. Again, it's a standardized thing. Like it helps you kind of have a standard to see like, okay, are these students always making consistent test scores or, but they're doing great in class or they consistent on their test scores and then this one unit they bomb. Okay, let's figure out what went wrong here. Like I just like having the number (laughs) and I like comparing them year after year and using those to help inform me in terms of how I'm teaching them. So I still always and forever will be giving unit tests unless someone tells me I can't because I think they're very helpful. And so I'm team test and I'm also team non-traditional summative assessment. I like doing both. But I think this episode is going to be specifically for how to use those tests to really support students and build those skills for those standardized tests they're going to take that the district wrote or that some, you know, national organization wrote. Okay. So let's talk about that. First thing I will say is you need to consistently practice test taking. And that's why I really recommend giving a test at the end of every unit. I like it for informing me how I teach, but I also think it's really helpful for the students to consistently have that practice of sitting down, of answering multiple choice, of writing FRQs, like they need that consistent practice. And so if you just commit to doing it at the end of every unit, that usually will mean you're going to have a test, you know, every three or four weeks. And that's a nice, consistent amount of practice for them. Now, a little side note here. Good tests are really, really hard to write. And so this is why I'm very passionate about not letting my students keep their tests, okay? When my students take a test in my class, I grade them, I pass them the back out, we talk about them, and then I collect them back. I have a filing cabinet that I keep locked at all times. And in it, I have, you know, a section that's for each of my classes. Every student has their own file folder with their name on it that I make at the beginning of the year and I file their tests away in that. And then at different times throughout the year, like before midterms, before the EOC, before a final exam, I pull out their folders and we kind of look through the tests again and we look through things they missed and see how, you know, what would you answer differently about it now? And they can still see it again. I also keep them in here if like any parent wants to come in for a conference or if any student wants to come look at them with me in tutoring before the next test to study. I'm happy to do that with them in my class, but I keep my tests as secure as possible. One reason being that, like I said, good tests are really hard to write. And so this allows me to not reinvent the wheel every single year. But the second reason is if you teach at a small school or particularly like a private school and you have a lot of siblings, like they're going to pass along their stuff to their siblings. I have had older students give their entire biology binders to their you know younger sibling. And I'm just like, no. So this kind of helps at least protect the test in that way. So I really want to encourage you to do that. Y'all know how hard it is and how long it takes to write a good test. So don't just let students keep them. Okay, you keep them and you protect them as best you can. Now, my second you know, tip besides just consistent practice with test taking is to simulate test taking conditions as much as you can. Okay. So things like keeping the room silent, them leaving all of their stuff outside the door before they even come in for the test, 
you know, if for their AP exam, they're only allowed a calculator and scratch paper, then only let them use a calculator and scratch paper on your test if whenever possible. For instance, for AP biology or AP chemistry, like they get these reference sheets, have those be the reference sheets that you give students every single test. So they just get super familiar with looking at these tests. You know, don't let them use their own periodic table that they marked up and put all this extra information on, like make them use the one they're going to see on the test so that it's really familiar to them. I think the more we simulate these test-taking conditions, the better. Now, one caveat to this is I know a lot of these standardized tests nowadays are virtual, and I hate virtual tests. I mean, I've told y'all before, yes, the ease of grading them is a lot faster, but I just like, I just don't trust the technology. I don't know if it's like the conspiracy theorists in me, but like, I just feel like it's so much harder for me to control what I don't know. And I feel like my students are smarter than me when it comes to tech. So I'm not going to give them any part of their test on technology where they could find out some way to override the system that I think is preventing them from cheating. Okay, so that's where I'm just like a paper girl. But, you know, you can build in some virtual practice if you want to give them that, you know, computer practice. I feel like they're so good on computers. They may not need extra practice on a computer, but that's just my personal opinion. The other thing I will say about these, this simulating the test taking conditions that I think is so critical is simulating the timing of the test if it's a timed test, especially with your AP students where it is a timed test. Now, obviously, if your students have 504 IEP accommodations, you need to legally meet their accommodations. But I'm talking about everyone else. I think this is one of the best things I did when I taught AP biology. I made sure in the time allotment that I had them, I gave them the same proportion of questions that they would see you know, on the AP exam. So for example, I'm just going to use some simple numbers here just to make this math easier since a lot of you are listening to this like while you're driving to school or while you're grading papers or while you're doing laundry. Let's say I have an hour for my AP biology class and let's say the AP exam is a four-hour test and in the four-hour test, they're doing, you know, 60 multiple choice questions and 12 FRQs. If that's how much they're doing in the AP exam and that's in a four-hour block and I only have a one-hour block, I should be making them do a fourth of that. So 60 divided by four is 15. I should be giving them 15 multiple choice questions. 12 divided by four is three. I should be giving them three FRQs. And so their test, my AP biology students test would then always be 15 multiple choice questions, three FRQs. Now, Did it work out like this perfectly? No, because that math doesn't quite track. And my class was actually 55 minutes, not an hour. And, you know, sometimes I wanted them to do grid in questions. And some of the FRQ questions on the AP exam are longer. Some are shorter. So sometimes I would just give them one of the long ones. But I did my best to figure out what was a reasonable amount to expect them to do in the time I had them. And here's what I will say that I was very proud of is after my students took the AP exam, I was on maternity leave at the time because I missed the last nine weeks of uh, of the year when our oldest was born and we adopted him and I was home. But I remember going in like the all these teacher Facebook groups and everyone freaking out saying that all their students came back and said they couldn't finish. They couldn't finish. It was too long. And every single student in my class, I personally reached out to each of them. They all said I had no problem with the time. I had extra time to go back and check my work. And I genuinely think it was because we like trained their test-taking muscles to work in that time that was allotted for them. And so especially if you have any sort of time test that they're having to take, I really, really, really encourage you to make every test simulated to follow those conditions, okay? Do the math, 
figure out how much they should spend on each time, and then only give them enough problems to do in that time. My third thing that kind of goes along with this is mirror the writing style of your test questions with how the standardized test questions are written. Because I think familiarity with this is really, really key. Now, here's the problem. You may be like me and you may not think that the standardized tests are written very well. <laughs> like I know, especially for the state South Carolina State Biology EOC exam 10 years ago, it was not a real, well-written test. Like I did not like how they wrote the test questions. But in order to use my unit tests to prepare these students for that standardized test, I needed to mirror how those questions were written so that they were familiar with it. Okay, so like, let's say you have an AP exam. This is the questions like AP College Board loves. It'll be multiple choice and it'll be three statements, statement one, two, three. And then, you know, answer choice A is like statement one is true. Answer choice B is like statement two is true. Answer choice C is statement three is true. Answer choice D is like statements one and three are true. You know, answer choice E is statements one and two are true. And so it like really makes the multiple choice question so much harder, then you need to have questions like that in there. So really try to get your students used to these different types of questions. Or, you know, especially if you're having a test, like the if you're preparing students for the ACT or like an AP test where there's a lot of like questions with graphs and a lot of questions looking at data tables, then your test questions need to have a lot of data tables and graphs. Okay, they need to mirror that. So they're not getting on this test and being like, why am I having to look at all this data and I've only ever looked at data in a lab before? Don't let that be the case. Try to mirror your style of test questions. And this is where I think it's really helpful. Use the resources that are given to you from whoever's writing your tests and pull test questions from those for your unit tests. Like mix them in. My AP biology unit tests were only old FRQ questions and only old multiple choice that I pulled from all those practice exams they've given over the years for AP biology. I pulled from those. Like that's what I'm piecing together. And this is another reason why I like to protect my tests because there's only a finite amount of questions if you're using questions that are specifically released by the people writing your standardized tests. So pull those questions, put them together. Yes, for AP Biology, could my students look up every FRQ that's ever been published? Yes, they could. But at the end of the day, like they didn't have time to go through all of those. They weren't necessarily memorizing the answers. And even if they did, like, okay, it helped them pass my unit test, but it wouldn't necessarily help them later on. Like they learned that I'm here to support you and you do your best. And that's where point four is going to come in. But before I close this, I just really, really want to encourage you to use those test questions that are given to you, those sample, multiple choice, whatever. Don't just make it a practice exam you do a week before the actual standardized exam. Mix them into your unit test. If you want to do part them, part your own, that's great too. But that's where you know my fourth tip comes in. And that is if your benchmark or standardized test is curved, then I encourage you to curve your unit tests. If you're writing your unit tests like they are and you're using the same time allotments, then use the same curve. You know, if you go in the AP Biology Teacher Facebook group, there's a lot of recommendations for like how people curve to try to match the curve of the AP exam because there is a curve on the AP exam for them to only put everyone in these categories of five, four, three, two, one. So I think it's okay to curve it. Like I don't curve any of my other classes and I don't curve my tests because I feel like my tests are really, really written and aligned to my instructional resources. But for a class like AP Biology, where you're not given all the instructional resources and they're not all aligned and you're you know working on it from scratch, I do feel like it's appropriate to curve. 
Another option instead of curving could be allowing those test corrections and saying like, okay, let's do test corrections in a way that you can earn, you know, we're going to do them in class. You can earn half credit back, you know, however you want to do it to support them because you don't want to use these opportunities to practice these test taking skills to punish them, especially if it's like a badly written test and you're just trying to teach them how to take a badly written test. Like you don't want to harm them in that way. So give your students grace in that, whether that's a curve or corrections. I want to encourage you to do that. And then my fifth tip would be include a more authentic summative assessment, as we discussed in episode 103, alongside you know, your unit test to help balance out the grades, especially if we're doing our best to mimic what the test will eventually look like. And it's not something you're writing specifically aligned to how you teach and the instructional resources you used. Like that's going to be really challenging for your students. It's going to be good for them to strengthen those muscles before they get to that test, but it's going to be challenging. And we don't want their grades to be harmed for them to be to really being seeing this as like a learning process. Like you're using your unit tests not as much to assess them on what they know as much to prepare them for what's to come in the ultimate assessment. And so we don't want to punish them then with that grade. And so that's where I encourage you to bring in these other options. That's what really, really served my AP biology students. I didn't have anyone with lower than a C in my AP biology class because I gave them so many other opportunities and they weren't as stressed about my tests because they knew that my tests were really written to to support them and being prepared for the AP exam and they knew I was going to take care of them. Like if they did what I told them to prepare, I was going to give them enough opportunities for their grade that their grade, it wasn't about the grade. It truly was about the learning experience and them being prepared for this ultimate test that they were going to take. And so that's why I love creating those authentic assessments in addition to these unit tests that you're going to do. So those are my five best tips for using your summative assessments to prepare students for standardized tests they might be taking for your class or for another class. And I hope you take them to heart. Do that consistent practice by always giving them a test every unit. Simulate your test taking conditions as best you can. Mirror the writing style of your test questions. Curve the actual test like the final test will be curved if that's the case or do some sort of test corrections. And then lastly, try to incorporate that authentic, non-traditional summative assessment in there too, just so their grade isn't dependent on their test taking skills, but you're still strengthening those test taking skills at the same time. So I really hope this helps. You know, there's still time this year, you know, to transition your test. If this is something you haven't been doing all along, but you have some sort of benchmark exam coming in April or May or June, you have time. So I hope you kind of take these suggestions to heart and try them out. And if you want to check out any links or any, you know, supplemental resources for today's episode, they are always available in the show notes, which can always be found at my website slash the episode number. So for this episode, it's it's not rocket science classroom.com slash episode 104. And I would love it if you would leave a review today if you have a standardized test for your course. So if that's you and you haven't left a rating or review for the Secondary Science Simplified podcast, I would love it if you would do it now. If you're on Apple, you just go to the actual show, Secondary Science Simplified, like click on the title and then scroll down to the bottom and you'll see where you can input that in. And I'll see you next week. All right, teacher friends, that wraps up today's episode. If you're looking for an easy way to start simplifying your life as a secondary science teacher, head to itsnotrocketscienceclassroom.com slash challenge to grab your classroom reset challenge. And guess what? It's totally free. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you here next week. Until then, I'll be rooting for you, teacher friend.